welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. And this week's words are gut, toothpaste, depressed, and gender bias. All in a good time. Good time. <laughs> None of these things are a good time, actually. Wait. They're all a great time. Actually, toothpaste could be okay. Oh, I know what the toothpaste story is going to be. It's going to be the thing about the kids. And you know what? That's a good yeah. That's a good pick if it is that, because that's one of those stories that, like, no one got excited about, and I got very excited about it, and, and, and it's something that, like... It, you're lame. Uh, no. Okay. Okay. It's like people are getting <laughs> people are getting all up in arms about stuff that's not going to actually impact them and is not actually dangerous, and then something comes along, like we did that study on dental floss... Because it wasn't that like Oral B dental floss had some dangerous property, this one batch of it or whatever. And then we're going to do this thing on kids using too much toothpaste and all this stuff. And like, it's bad. But like, nobody cares. Nobody gives a fuck. Pretty much. (laughs) All right. You ready for our first story? I'm absolutely ready for our first story. Let's do this. So come comes from BBC, and it's how to eat your way to a healthy gut. Do we actually have this information and know? Because this is one of my big questions about health, is the gut microbiome and how to improve it. But I thought we didn't know. I'm getting very excited. All right, go ahead. So uh, there's a lot of interest. You're not the only one. Uh, Facebook has started advertising to me microbiome testing kits at home, which I think is the greatest thing ever and if I hadn't had uh, money I would totally do one I don't know what I'd do with that information but like things I now know (laughs) (laughs) so this article is looking at different studies that have been uh, looking at uh, how they can change Um, so it's looking at how to hack it and you're right nobody really knows Hmm. but it's looking at uh, probiotics um looking at what those are. So those are like live yogurts, meaning they contain living bacteria. Although not, Um, usually not Greek yogurt to clarify. And a lot of people don't know that, that you need to get yogurt yogurt. When you get those like thickened yogurts, a lot of those don't have it in it. So word to the wise. Mm. So uh, the verdict of adding that kind of thing into it is adding a a few strains of bacteria into microbiome, though, through taking probiotic probably won't boost your gut health diversity all that much. So then there's prebiotic, uh, which is, um, are a source of food for probiotic bacteria to live off of. So basically exciting creating a habitable environment in the gut for these healthy bacteria to flourish. Exactly. Um, but they are, they do not increase the diversity of your microbe. They will significantly in, uh, increase specific bacteria, but they won't increase the number of different types, types. of okay. bacteria. Okay. So you can get more bacteria, but not more bacteria, like as far as like species diversity. Right. Um, so mixing up, so uh, my, microbiome. Diversity is probably not achievable by swallowing a range of whole supplements. Okay. But you can change the way that you eat 
and having a healthy diet of fruit, vegetables, whole grains, um, and a predictable routine. And there's evidence that for the efficacy of specific foods is always questionable, but a varied and diverse diet of healthy foods mm-hmm. is likely to lead to an equally diverse and healthy microbe, which I feel like is super lame way to say, like, you should eat healthy. It probably has an effect. <laughs> eat healthy then and exercise. <laughs> my, right. Then we have my personal favorite, which is fermented foods. Yes. Because this yes. is for my Portland friend. Woo! And it specifically mentions kombucha. You know I love that stuff. You know I love it. Oh, my um, God. Yes. I so love it so much. So the verdict is fermented foods may help boost your microdiversity, but science hasn't hasn't – up with this craze yet as you all right that's that's fair yeah and and like one of the things i've really wondered about all of this is whether or not consuming these bacteria actually can help because say we actually knew like you need these 200 strains and you have 50 so here's a supplement with 150 well the the bacteria still have to be able to survive in your body and what i've wondered is like maybe the reason that some people have not that much diversity is that the conditions in their body don't promote the survival of the bacteria that they need. So like you can keep putting them in, but like if they can't survive because your diet otherwise is like 100% tomatoes or whatever, then, you know, it's not going to work. Oh man. That being said, kombucha and I have a very strong placebo effect relationship where I just I drink it and I and I think to myself like this just feels it tastes good feels good it seems healthy to me and I bet I honestly bet that I get a benefit out of that I don't know why I know that there's like no information but there's also no information saying it doesn't work which is a terrible argument but the the short the short story is um GT Dave is the best kombucha and everyone should know that slash if you want to send me kombucha samples do it, do it all day long. But I hate the ones, I hate the kombucha where they add all this extra sugar because that totally, you know, sugar is not a health benefit. And and they make it look like it has less sugar than it does by saying how much sugar is in an eight ounce serving when they're selling you a 15 or 16 ounce bottle. Um, and that's another thing that they're doing that's annoying me. Like Kroger brand kombucha, which is not that good, started selling it in a 15.2 ounce bottle. So when you look at the nutritional label, it says a serving is eight ounces and this bottle contains quote about two servings because like if you round up and that's just like a really crappy way of like stealing 0.8 ounces of kombucha from me. So there, but, um, shit ain't accurate. No more. That's right. I like GT Dave's (laughs) because Dave of GT Dave tests the kombucha himself. As far as I know, every day, I have to think it's most days. There must be some days when he can't do it, but like he tested himself. It's lower in sugar and they have options that have juice or don't have juice in them, you know, so they can taste a little different. And I think the flavors are very good. I think GT Dave should sponsor this podcast. And if what you're thinking right now is that I'm a stereotype of a white woman, well, you're right. <laughs> that was a really delayed response, Laura. Really delayed. Uh, I was thinking you're you're gonna say a Portland white woman, but I, oh. okay, you're just you're just so Portland that you can't imagine a time like we don't see gender here in Portland. Cincinnati? We don't see it. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I All right, love you. you ready for our yes. next? <laughs> <laughs> our next article comes from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, um, and it's your child may be using too much toothpaste and it's unhealthy. CDC says. So this is about the possibility that you're using too much toothpaste. The CDC thinks that it's possible. So the organization surveyed parents and guardians of over 5,000 children. They asked uh, when the children started brushing their teeth, how often each day, and the amount of toothpaste used. So Mm -hmm. um, they found that nearly 40% of children ages 3 to 6 use too much toothpaste. So kids three or younger should use a smear of toothpaste, a smear. which is about the size of a grain of rice. Oh, so little. And children three three to six should be using only a pea size amount of toothpaste. Okay. So the reason why they're concerned is because of the amount of fluoride and they're likely fall, um, swallowing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and another important fact that I hadn't really thought about, but it, they say that you should parents should be brushing their children's teeth as soon as the tooth emerges. So you got a teething kid, and now you got to start uh, brushing it. I feel like that's going to be even a huger, more of a ma- <laughs> mega fight. Yeah, I mean, I think parents do that anyway, right? Like, I think. Oh no! It says about almost eighty percent of children. Yeah. 80% of children studied started brushing their teeth later than recommended. Okay, never mind. I don't know why I assume parents just know these things. I thought like you I thought you pop out a kid, they give you like a big book, you know, and it's like driving a car, you got to read the book and take a test and you got to have like, you know, 75% to pass nope. or whatever and you know, hopefully you don't Mm-mm. skip the section on toothbrushing. Okay. Um, nope. <laughs> Not a thing, Robin. Yeah, okay, I think this is important. There's, there's also no stork. <laughs> Shoot. I think the smear is probably really hard. How 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 can you get a grain of rice-sized amount of toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube? You'd almost have to get a bigger piece out, you know. That'd be hard. But this is Portland relevant because here in Portland we do not fluoridate our tap water. And I'm not, I'm not sure I agree mm-hmm. with that. I, I'm pretty sure I disagree with that, but I haven't really hardcore looked into it. But, um, yeah, you know, we tend to have some creative thoughts about health sometimes, which is really beautiful if you want to have an emotionally intelligent conversation in the grocery store line, and really tough if you want to prevent children from dying of the measles. Fun fact, I think we're up over 50 cases now in the county bordering mine, and we've got some cases in my county. And yeah, so to come back to the water, you know, they're worried here about intake of fluoride, essentially assuming that children are going to swallow some of the toothpaste while they're brushing, which I think is fair, especially for kids under three. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm guessing that the amount of fluoride in tap water and the amount of fluoride in like a ball of toothpaste are quite different, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I suppose you could also get your child a fluoride-free toothpaste, but I bet that they that they actually don't recommend that. I bet they recommend fluoridated toothpaste for kids because it does it does prevent cavities. Like we know that, um, right? You, you just you don't want to like consume a ton of it. Yeah. 
So, so it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry. That was yeah. Well, it's it's a great story. Yeah. It's a really good pick, and I'm annoyed with the people on my Facebook feed who are talking about I don't know what. I mean, a lot of great things. A lot of great things. I love you all, but like, but like not this. <laughs> this is a thing that people should be talking about. I, I need to make a list of things that I think people should have cared more about. One, I'm still I'm still all over heavy metal um, presence in protein supplement products. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares. Zero people yep. care. I have not convinced one person to start caring. So if I've convinced you to start caring, let me know because you could be the first. This, no one cares about. Um, I'm pretty sure that no one cares that sugar does not cause hyperactivity in kids. Just no one believes that, even though like that's a thing that we're pretty sure about. Um, I, I don't even know. It's just like screaming into an abyss with these stories. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Had enough. Ah. <laughs> uh. Um, so our next story comes from NPR and it's, if you're often angry or irritable, you may be depressed. So this is looking at a story of, um, depression through the lens of an individual who, um, had a, had, had a quick temper, um, and is looking at the DSM, uh, five, uh, list of things and, um, if you look at the core symptoms for major depression, it does not include anger. But I mean, that, yeah. if you look at it for people who are under 18, it does. Oh, interesting. So anger is an emotion and physical feeling that makes people want to uh, warn, intimidate, or attack a person who is perceived as threatening. And this doctor says, as a depressed person with a lot of anger is often perceived to have bipolar or personality disorder, but that's not necessarily true. I like that. Um, I think this is very true. So angered is projected inward that depressed people would be angry at themselves and not at others, but that's not necessarily true. So sometimes people will get angry um, and lash out because they are depressed and they feel helpless that way. And they feel bad about that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... So, uh, there was a study done by a research group that looked at 500 people who had been di- diagnosed with major depression and found that more than half of them showed overt irritability slash anger. Um, and this anger and irritability appeared to be associate with more severe chronic depression. Hmm. Interesting. So. Gosh. So one more thing to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling a little cranky? Maybe you're depressed. I think this is very true. And I do, I do know that like the classic model says that depression is anger turned inward. Cause it's, it's essentially that's hopelessness, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're angry about things. You give up, you feel like there is no, help and there is no hope and so you start thinking then what's the point what's the point of me i'm worthless all this stuff (sighs) that being said so the fact that like this is not properly labeled in the or this is not addressed the way these people would like in the dsm-5 is really the tip of the iceberg in terms of dsm-5 like controversy so I don't know if you know this, but um, when the DSM-5 came out, basically, as far as I'm aware, the, the mental health community more or less just started punching each other in the eye because people were so upset 
And I don't remember all the specifics, but a lot of it had to do with some of the changes around, I, I think, like, gender dysphoria or... I don't even know. But some of the like homosexuality, transgender types of things were changed and updated. But a lot of people felt like the DSM-5 didn't do an amazing job of describing quite a number of, of mental illnesses. And um, gosh, I wish this had been more recent because I was really all over it for like six seconds. And then it kind of has died down. So um, I don't know if people know what the DSM is, but it's what does it stand for? Diagnostic standards? Da, 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 da. What mm-hmm. does DSM stand for, Laura? Do you know? I feel like this is important. Uh, okay, so it's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. You were right. <laughs> Laura just texted me that, you guys. I'm kidding. So <laughs> so they have these, and it's basically, it's defining, it's defining medical conditions, and they have one for mental disorders. And so they're just saying, like, this is, like, depression is these things. Anxiety is these things. And they're outlining pretty specific sets of symptoms and, like, ways of diagnosing these things. So, and that's what your insurance company uses. Like, that's what, so everyone in the medical community in the U.S. has to kind of dovetail, unless they don't take insurance, has to kind of dovetail into these guidelines. So if they change the DSM, it's it's a huge thing. And it can totally change how billing works. It can change what labels are used to describe people, which is like not the best thing we do in life. But a label sometimes helps determine like medication and compensation for a medical professional's time and all these different things. So the DSM is like super important. Influential. Yes, it's very influential. But like it's not necessarily done in a way that a lot of people agree with too. So... um mm-hmm. For a long time, they were still... and controversial. Yes. Yeah. So, like, people were really angry about, like, the lack of transparency in the last process. But also, um, I think some of the definitions that they came up with, people didn't love. So, um, I don't know. Maybe we can do more on that later, or I'll kind of check into it as we're talking about other things. But... Um, so it's worth, it's worth pointing out in this case that they're saying like, it's not even in the DSM five. Well, that's not even surprising, right? Like it's not surprising at all that the DSM five is incomplete or controversial is what I'm saying. So like they've pointed that out here and I'm kind of like, meh, well, the DSM five as a thing that causes controversy, particularly in psychology and psychiatry is like, that's a known quantity for those of us who mm-hmm. follow these things <laughs> <laughs> on brand. It's on brand. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, the APA is just, like, a really problematic organization, so there's that. Yes, and I hate the way that they force everyone to cite things. It's highly annoying. <laughs> Our grad student has her own critiques of the... Yeah, see, like, I was I was kind of upset that the APA condoned uh, psychologist-led torture of, like, various, quote-unquote, war... They're not really war criminals, but, like, people that we have you know for political reasons put in captivity and like they allowed psychologists to be a part a part of this like kind of like we're gonna supervise the torture and a bunch of people got super upset about that but um yes you are right the apa style manual can also create some day-to-day little headaches with its peccadilloes yeah especially with the modernization of technology and the way that we share things 
on the internet it makes it really hard to fucking cite things <laughs> <laughs> but don't they have an app for that not that it's accurate in any consistent way hmm Okay, I found a little more info about this DSM-5, and some of it looks to be around allowing people to get a label with fewer and fewer symptoms, so like attention deficit disorder and generalized anxiety. They kind of like lowered the bar, which a lot of people are going to find controversial because it's it's the same thing as with the blood pressure. There's a band of people who were normal, and now we're saying like you have a mental illness, and it's it's just a matter of like... We, we changed the definition of the thing. Um, right. So that increased. That, inc- that Like all of a sudden more people have it. And then um, they made bereavement a mental disorder, which some people did not agree with. Um, and they, they, they added some things that some people didn't agree with. It looks like something called a disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which is essentially a child having a temper tantrum. So... Hmm. Um, but I would really say that, like, those are outcomes of a process that a lot of people in that world did not like. So I think we would have seen less clucking after the DSM-5 came out if there had been more internal discussion. What I don't know how they come to these conclusions, but, like, if there had been more discussion and transparency during the revision process. I wonder when the DSM-6 is coming out. Like, is that coming soon? I haven't even heard about it. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's something that they update very often, um, considering they're only on five and it started <laughs> when, you know, like, yeah. I just, there's probably not like a whole lot of new disorders. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's probably an ongoing update. It, it is. Um, and so like the DSM-5 came out and. They continuously update it, but uh, to warrant a new version of it might yeah. be. Well, it takes a lot of training. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not your textbook, if you know what I mean. Like, they just <laughs> change a picture, and it's a new edition. And then we all have to buy, <laughs> and then we have to buy it again. Yeah, right. So, so hashtag grad life. Um, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> and then DSM five was also when they got rid of Aspergers and they made the whole thing autism spectrum disorder. That pissed off yes. some people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that was released in. May of 2013, which is now five and a half years ago. So I guess we can we can say that it could be a while before the next. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's some controversy and people are saying they there will probably not be a DSM-6. Okay, this is a deep dive that I am going to reserve for my private reading at another time. Um, gosh, I was like super sick the other night. And I was trying to watch all the silly movies on Netflix and nothing was working. Like nothing was working. And I started reading nutrition studies and I was out like a light, Laura. It's perfect. And I learned a little <laughs> bit about iron consumption in female endurance athletes. So, you know, I mean, win, 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 win. Perfect. Uh, Yay. Next story. So our next story is from USA Today. And its study shows gender bias starts early with girls' pain taken less seriously. Is anyone surprised? Is anyone surprised? So um, there's new research from Yale that builds on a 2014 study that confirms adults believe a child is feeling more pain when the child is a boy as opposed to a girl, although the child experiences are the same uh, actual pain. 
the surprising twist, women are more guilty of rating a boy's pain higher. Oh, stab me in the gut. So a new study published in the Journal of Pediatric Psychology asked adults to assess how much pain a child was in, um, who was expressing, experiencing by looking at identical reactions to a finger stick test. Um, mm-hmm. Adults upgraded the level of pain when they thought boys were feeling and downgraded for girls. God. Um, so uh, this is part of, uh, they've had 264 adults and they were told they were watching a video of a child's pre-kindergarten finger prick test at a doctor's office. Um, they watched mm. the same child, but were told it was either a boy or a girl. So it's the same reaction. Oh, geez. And men and women were told to rate on a scale of zero to a hundred. Um, adults rated boys pain to be 50.42 and girls at 45.9. Yeah. Well, that's Um, the whole societal perception that girls are soft and boys are tough. And so if the boy is expressing pain, that must be very real. And if the girl is expressing pain, that must be trumped up. And that's a stereotype that mm -hmm. affects girls and women throughout their entire lives perhaps never more notably than during childbirth when we actually have unreasonably, in my opinion, unreasonably high maternal death rates in our country. Part of which I think is really due to not taking female complaints of discomfort seriously. I mean, women are dying of preventable reasons when giving birth in hospitals because just no one believes them. And and then they die. Like this is like, I can't, ah, okay. Yes. Um, and another twist is men actually rated that girls fe- as feeling more pain, though it was not to a statistically significant degree. Oh, so, okay. Um, so, and then research has shown that young kids do not experience pain differently based on gender, at least until puberty. Hmm. Oh, because then maybe hormones would play, would play a role. Yeah. yeah, this is like such a tough story. And the opposite of what we want to hear, but here it is. Yeah, still a thing. It's still a thing, and I don't know. I don't know what we do other than say like this is yet another example. Like when we do the stories where we realize that like race is actually a huge factor in how healthy you are or aren't, you know, and socioeconomic factors are like a huge, a huge determiner of how you live. I mean. When I was in Cincinnati, you could, and the health department did, map out neighborhoods by lifespan. And there was a 20-year difference between the most wealthy neighborhoods and the least wealthy neighborhoods. And that was a story that didn't get that much press. And that, you know, like, people were like, okay, you know, and uh, it's tough. And it's real tough to hear that it's coming from women. I don't like it, Absolutely. Laura. I don't like it at all. I'm sorry you don't like it, Robin. <laughs> I like the story. I like the story because I think it's like it's an important thing to be talking about. So, Journal of Pediatric Psychology, and they're building on a 2014 study. Well, I mean, the thing about the men, I think it's important to understand that, like, not st- statistically significant, and that is a hard phrase to say. 
means that we're saying that that could have just been chance. And that's not really something we need to try to explain. Like you might test for that again, as we always say, more research needed, more research needed. But it, you know, I, I think people will say, oh, it wasn't a statistically significant finding. And then they still try to explain it. And I'm like, you don't need to explain it. Like you don't, that's literally, that is just like observational chance is what we're saying. Um, man, that freaks me out. It also kind of like leads me to my health fascination for this week, which is... Yeah, what's your health fascination? Well, so I've been thinking a lot about the strong, not skinny hashtag movement, whatever that's been all over social media. And I know that's not like hardcore health. That's like in some ways like a social issue. But um, I don't know. At first I like didn't love it, but felt like I had to be okay with it because I agree that we want to promote function and ability in women as opposed to appearance. But as time has gone on, I guess I've been feeling a little more like I would like to see us evolve and shift this conversation to simply talking about not labeling women's bodies as, you know, cause like what really, what, what is, what is thin exactly? And why, mm-hmm. why are these things all like mutually exclusive? Like for example, I know on online dating, which is never a good example of anything, but like, Hey, lived experience being what it is. They would like, when I was doing that, they would have different body types and you were supposed to pick one. Well, athletic and thin were never, they were always two separate categories, kind of implying like one is not the other. And I get it like that there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a functional role there of using those terms. But I think that when we say strong, not skinny, we're still saying that it's okay to label a person's body with this like really weighty value driven word. And I think, I think, I think we should just move away from that. Like we're starting to talk about gender as a spectrum, you know, and like we're starting to like realize that a lot of things are not so black and white and a lot of things are, are are a gray area or are a spectrum. So like, why, why is it strong, not skinny? Like, why aren't we talking about not labeling body types? You know, because we still we still do all that. We'll say someone because even if we don't say that someone's overweight, we'll say that they're big or I don't know. You know, I mean, I guess part of it is like the biology of us wanting to sort and label things, which was like a safety practice evolutionarily. But I mean, what do you think? Um, I think like I feel like you're both. So like it's hard. I think it's just. It's hard to put labels on everything um, yeah. for it because, like, it's not necessarily a one or the other. And I think one has more of a judgment value than than the other. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like skinny has more of a judgment value than athletic. Right. And skinny you are a baller beast athlete, you know, so you are athletic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely athletic. And yeah, it's it's interesting to even note that skinny and thin have different connotations, even though they could mean the exact same th- mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I for a while I felt like there had been such a cult of thinness 
that I felt like it was okay to have a strong, not skinny type of a hashtag. But now I'm kind of like, I, I, I still want to give preference to like to understanding that there's like thin privilege in the same way that there's white privilege and there's male privilege. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say like, we need to treat it all the same, but I don't, I, I just don't want like any little girl out there to, to hear that her body type is, is a not like we want to be this and not, and not this other thing. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the, I think that's the wrong approach. Right. Totally get that. What's your um what's your current event this week? Um so there's a lot happening in Virginia. <laughs> um with the uh governor and attorney general admitting to have previously using blackface in the past and then um the lieutenant governor being accused of um sexual assault. There's a whole lot of hoopla happening over there and everybody's saying that they're not going to resign um and (laughs) double down double down i was listening to um a doc uh, a doctor an african-american doctor talk about um his experience because he wrote a book about um like black man in a white coat or something like that okay might have been what the um book was called but like so Blackface is a symptom of white privilege and racism? has historical basis of racism. And it's typically been done in extremely white um, areas. And now with the advent of social media, things that once would have been done exclusively in all white um, areas can now be seen by people outside of it. And things that were done years ago can come back um and be um yeah it can come to haunt you and so but it's just the doctor was talking about how so the governor is a doctor as well and and so his pitch for like staying is like he can help virginia heal who better than a doctor but this Um, other doctor that they were interviewing (laughs) they were interviewing was talking about like, what about the experiences for um, those patients that were seen by that doctor? Because that school at that time was in a predominantly um, black neighborhood, right? And so the populations that they would have seen. And it was in 1984, so 34, 35 years ago. Those doctors are still practicing, Right, like that, oh, they grew shit. up or were trained. Like they still exist in and are probably most likely the people that are training, like the next generation of it. Yeah. So looking at like systemic biases that we have within the medical field to begin with, mm. and then you have people expressing these um, racist uh, tropes. Yeah. And how that can impact a population that has has been victimized mm-hmm. by the medical community in the past yes. you know yeah. so just like horribly so victimized. many layers yes yeah <laughs> happening there yeah um, i mean whether or not the governor should resign or not is kind of not my point but like looking at like what 
that is a symptom of and how, how that gets that's another on. way to look at it. Yeah. So I know that that's what, uh, yeah, well, politics and, and medicine to make a full circle back to, you know, the maternal mortality rates, women of color, of course, are dying at mm-hmm. much higher rates because guess what? If we don't believe women, we really, really, really don't believe non-white women. And like, Right. Yeah, I think this stuff does get passed down, especially because the culture around medical schools and the nature of what you have to do to like live a life that allows you to get into medical school, right? Like the more privilege you have, the easier that tends to be. It's it's awfully tough for people who are coming out of nothing, you know, to find enough resources to make this work. You know, and I and I think you take people who who dedicate essentially a, often a decade of their lives to studying for the bulk of their time, so they're already like their life experience is a more narrow window than some of their peers, right? So that might already make it hard for them to connect with people, and then you and then the people they are exposed to are going to be some of what you're describing, you know. Yeah, no, no wonder a black woman has a hard time in a maternity ward sometimes, you know. That shouldn't mm-hmm. surprise mm-hmm. us. That's like an expected outcome of a system we've created that doesn't work for everyone. So uh, the book you referenced, you were correct, is Black Man in a White Coat, A Doctor's Reflections on Race and Medicine by Damon Tweedy. Yep, that's who I heard. And it's only 10 bucks on Amazon, so. Everybody could, should buy it. You could buy it for your sweetie for Valentine's Day. Actually, by the time you listen to this, it'll be too late. Did you forget Valentine's Day? Well, you can buy it for your sweetie now. It's probably going to be a good book. You can buy it for your sweetie for St. Patrick's Day. Which is <laughs> arguably the more important holiday, let's be honest. I was actually... So I Absolutely. had a doctor's appointment today, and I was a very good patient, for the record. And my doctor asked me about alcohol and she was like, it's like alcohol, you know, I don't know why she asked this. They give you a questionnaire. I circle no. And I was like, no. And she was like, never. That's always the next question. No one ever believes you. And I said, well, I mean, maybe like a couple drinks a year if you want to say like maybe one around Christmas and probably one on St. Patrick's Day. So there you go. It's in, it's in, it's in my medical history now. I'm like, don't really. But on this day. Because on, on the day like St. Patrick's Day, whiskey is a cultural experience, you know? So, yeah, it's happening. Absolutely. All right, Laura, I think that's enough bad patienting for me for one day. Did we hit on everything in your doctoral student yes. opinion that we should have? Did we do all the... Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So if you want to connect with us, you can send topic ideas to hello at thebadpatient.com. You can rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your media. We suggest Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Bad Patient. Until next time, uh, we hope you have a great week. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> I knew I forgot something. There's like a theme song. It's this guy. We'll touch on it on another week. <laughs> I'm out. Ha, 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 ha.